Next, we have a special testimony tonight and a special lady that's gonna share her experience, strength, and hope and what God has done to her. Give it up for Marilyn. Thank you. I am too. Get him. Okay. Uh, wow, I am uh, so impressed. There's so many of you out there on what could be the hottest night in the world, but you get a victory already for being here. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm an adult child of a dysfunctional family who's in recovery for codependency, and my name is Marilyn. Please join me in prayer. Father God, this is your story of how you saved my life brought me to your grace instead of living in disgrace and you redeemed my life wrapped with sin. Please give me the courage to be vulnerable and the wisdom to be clear. Open hearts to hear about your miracles, even if the issues I had are not the same as the listeners. We are all sinners saved by grace. In your name I pray for your blessing on this sharing because it is your story. Amen. Amen. I was raised in Denver, Colorado, the youngest of two girls. My father was the head of an accounting department in a well-known university, and my mom had been one of the students in his class. Probably today, if that happened, he would have been fired. But it ended up in a 40-year marriage. She was younger than he was by seven years, and my dad's strong leadership style his dynamic personality, his charisma really dominated the relationship. He was a benevolent dictator, but always his way or the highway. We were the looking good family and the unspoken agreement was don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Sound familiar? Kids were expected to perform as little adults and good performance earned positive attention. The clear expectation for our parents was kids are to be seen and not heard. Wow, I never once heard my parents argue. I was never physically punished, but if there was a problem, silence prevailed. And that left me extremely afraid of conflict. I was fearful of criticism, I was perfectionistic, mistrustful, terrified of abandonment, and I was a codependent that confused love and pity. I had the majority of traits listed in the manual for adult children of dysfunctional families. This pattern we know is now um, called emotional neglect, and lots of psychologists are writing about it, of course, um, but it's been around forever. As a result, I wasn't a, uh, was left without many tools in my tool belt, and that left me unable to have really successful intimate relationships. I stuffed my feelings. I never asked for help because that would appear needy. I didn't know what love was or what boundaries were about. I judged myself harshly. I was afraid of people's disapproval. And up until I went to school, I was shy quiet and often isolated. 
There weren't many kids in my neighborhood or my extended family, so I really learned to rely just on myself. However, not all my upbringing was negative. Some of the skills that I did learn in my family helped guide me to success in the world. Because both of my parents raised themselves out of poverty successfully by going to college, they valued education above all else. They worshiped at the altar of scholarly activity. So they taught us how to succeed in school, how to be overly responsible, to sacrifice ourselves for worldly success. Our goals were to make money, gain status, have a good career, and of course, drive a nice car. I was raised to be a scholar above being a kid and worldly success was the goal. However, we know now from God's word that, quote, the love of money is the root of all evil. And we know that from 1 Timothy 6.10. So having that goal did not lead me down a very good path. The addictions in my family might be different than in your family, but they left me with character defects um, that left me unable to cope with life in a really healthy way. My, mo- my father was a workaholic. He was addicted to his position at the university, ran an accounting business on the side. He served on numerous advisory boards and he was very demanding of both himself and us. My mother, on the other hand, suffered from chronic depression after she had two miscarriages, one of which almost took her life. Uh, When I was eight, a horrible trauma occurred in our family and that was my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, hung herself in the garage in a tragic suicide. This became the family secret. I was never told about it directly. I just overheard the story and it was never ever discussed again. It was quiet. It became the elephant in the room. The silence was deafening to me. Uh, My Sunday school never taught me about where people went after they died. I didn't know where my grandmother was, where she was gonna spend eternity. And this sudden and traumatic loss caused my mother to retreat into grief that she never spoke about and she emotionally disappeared. She was distant and preoccupied, even though she was always home, and this suicide seemed to leave a brown cloud above our home, and it became like a mausoleum, quiet and sad. I think your question for tonight is, was there something that happened that you had a hard time dealing with? And this is probably one of the bigger ones in my life. As a result, I felt abandoned, lonely, and filled with confusion. My sister was five years older than I was, and she made it clear she considered me a nuisance, what you'd call a pain in the butt. (laughs) And my family was disconnected with my dad gone most of the time, and my mom suffering from grief and depression. In elementary school, I made a clear decision that I had to rely on myself. I focused on school because I had always been my safe place where I was affirmed by teachers who loved and accepted me and I had lots of friends there. But I did not let people get too close and if there was conflict, I would just retreat. I was building a wall of denial around my emotions that would take a very long time to demolish. 
My safe spot when I was in elementary school was to be in my treehouse in my backyard. There I could avoid the silence of my home and I could create my own happy place and I did it by getting uh, recycled junk out of the alley and dragging it home and creating this really what I thought was a great spot. And uh, I coped with my family by using creativity and imagination and escape that way. Little did I know that that escape, which probably sounds ridiculous to many, would later turn into a thriving fix and flip business where I recycled houses. And that was long before HGTV was popular. I should have invented that, right? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that God can take some of our most bizarre behaviors and use them in a positive way? Our, lukewarm, our family attended a lukewarm church where we warmed the same pew of it every single Sunday. Um, we paid our tithe. My dad spoke about serving others and how the good Lord knew we cared by serving others. I attended Sunday school, but I had no clue what it meant to be saved. However, my beloved paternal grandmother, she's the reason I bring Kleenex. Aren't we all grateful for the saints who go before us that pray us into the kingdom? That was her. Um, she was Jesus with skin on for me. She loved me unconditionally. She was always nurturing. She constantly read the Bible and explained it to me. She adored me beyond measure. And I knew the love of Jesus because she modeled it to absolutely everyone. She was poor. She lived in the inner city projects, but she was rich in the Lord. She was my light in the darkness all through junior high. Her example is what made me curious about Christ. And I know she prayed on her knees every day for me to come to Jesus. And those prayers eventually paid off. At 16, I attended a Youth for Christ meeting with a friend and I gave my life to the Lord. I felt elated and accepted, but I did not follow up. And I didn't get involved. Instead, I discovered a new idol in high school, which was boys. <laughs> I started leading a double life, lying to my parents, stretching the limits. I craved the attention I received, and I was easily manipulated because I was an extreme people pleaser. I was also interested in figuring out who I was and what I wanted and where I fit in the world because I had no identity. But I tried to figure it out by rebelling against my strict parents. I dated a boy who did not meet with my parents' approval. Imagine that. He was a baseball player. Oh, Lord. Instead of a scholar. We were together for two years before I got pregnant at the end of my senior year. I walked the graduation aisle with gold tassels signifying high academic honors and I was three months pregnant. How's that for a double life? <laughs> anyway, we got married, because that's what you did, and he got drafted to play professional baseball. I should have known then it was not the guy for me, because it wasn't the Giants that drafted him. 
I went to live with his parents when my parents kicked me out because I had shamed the family name. And I carried that shame for decades until Jesus lifted it off me in February of 2002. After I moved in with them, I realized his family was in worse shape than mine. His mother was a binge drinker and came home from bowling every single week, week drunk, and his father was raging and aggressive. Theirs was a loud relationship filled with yelling, arguments, and accusations. Little did I know that when my new husband returned from his rookie year in professional baseball that he too would be filled with rage. I attempted to leave him numerous times, but I was always promised that he would change. And rather than confront his anger, I shut down emotionally and my fear grew and grew. Remember, my inner child was terrified of abandonment and I had no tools to deal with conflict. I felt helpless. We struggled through pursuing our college degrees. He went off to play ball during the baseball season. Then we finally graduated after having twin boys and another daughter. After 13 years of being traumatized by his temper and devastated by several affairs, I finally filed for divorce when he had an affair with my cousin. I guess that would make her a kissing cousin. Well, anyway, this was my lowest point. I was scared to death. I was a single mom. I had four kids. I was a beginning teacher on a minimal salary. I had never, ever in my life lived alone. And my fear drove me to be a workaholic. It's the only thing I knew, modeling after my dad. I was frantic in my search for the perfect husband, which developed into a relationship addiction. And I was seeking worldly success to be recognized. I figured my parents might have been right about education being the most important road to success. So I went to grad school to pursue a doctorate in psychology, right? That's what we all do when we're broken. The entire time I was in grad school, I was re we were all required to be in therapy. I took seven years. But here's what I need to say about that. Neither therapy or studying gave me the answers I needed to live a whole and complete life. All the books I studied did not compare to the wisdom I would later find in God's word. <clears throat> I went through two more marriages, failed marriages, before I finally realized that the common problem was me. <laughs> oh, duh. <laughs> and I realized that I needed something my grandmother had modeled a long time ago, and that was Jesus. Amen. At the perfect time, God's timing, right? My employer sent me to a convention for adult children of alcoholics. And even though I knew that my parents had not been alcoholics. Um, 
I realized that it was a dysfunctional family that I came from and that the majority of the character defects that I had, which were a lot of them, were in the famous laundry, laundry list in the big red book of ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. So I had find, found clues to the pain of so many of my broken relationships and why I confused love and pity and stuff my feelings. Even though I was not sure I was in the right spot, because then I didn't even know if codependency was an addiction. I went from ACA to Al-Anon and then to CR. And secular, secular, say that quickly three times, secular programs gave me the clues, but Celebrate Recovery gave me the answer, and that was the relationship with Jesus. My spiritual breakthrough came at the altar of Big Valley Grace. Right down there, there used to be steps all along here. That tells you how long ago it was. And that was on February 10th, 2002, at 10.45 in the morning. The reason I know that exactly is that uh, my life might have looked okay on the outside, but I was broken on the inside and I had hit rock bottom. And when I completely surrendered my life and asked, God to take control over it. It felt like when I knelt, lightning went through my body. I got zapped. And I came up there one person and walked away an entirely different person. I was instantly transformed. I know it doesn't happen that way for everyone, but I was my addiction to the revolving door of romantic relationships and all the shame that went with that went away. Uh, for the first time, I began to talk about my feelings here and celebrate recovery. I began to talk about my needs and I began to take care of myself. So this February, I am so grateful I got my 20-year chip. The issues of codependency and workaholism were a lot slower process, but that addiction that held me living in shame was gone, and the shame I got from keeping my family in shame was finished. I quickly became involved in serving at Big Valley, um, and the first, I didn't really know that much about the Bible, so I wasn't sure how I got involved in facilitating. <laughs> But the first thing I facilitated was a women's group on bad girls of the Bible. I qualified. <laughs> I recognized that my own story was right there in the example of the Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was living with the sixth man before Jesus rescued her, right? And she was the first female evangelist. And I wanted to be just like her, so I completed the evangelism explosion course we had here. And I started going door to door, visiting people, and sharing the gospel. <laughs> that was an adventure. A couple of years later, God called me to quit my job in education and go to three years of Christian servant leadership training in Stockton. And I learned the true meaning of serving all people in God's kingdom. 
After I completed that, God called me to volunteer as a counselor at Teen Challenge, Faith Home Ranch, which was a Christian 12-month residential treatment center for men of all ages. I was um, entirely sure that God had called the wrong girl. Well, I didn't know anything about that. But as I walked through the front door, uh, I said to God, you know, you're going to have to give me the love that I need to make it here. And I stayed eight years. <laughs> so he, he has amazing power. Um, now, and in more, even uh, what I wanted to say about Team Challenge is that um, I learned that our stories might be very different. We might not all have the same addictions. But I came to believe that those addictions are a result of our woundings as children and that out of those woundings grow addictions and that our, in the same way healing our wounds can be our key to recovery. And that's the reason why our four-step is so important, why we need to be, do a thorough and rigorous and honest and deep four-step to get to those woundings. I worked there for eight years and I never saw a man recover there unless they made a complete surrender to Jesus. Now God has called me to serve on staff at a large church and I am amazed every time I walk through the doors of that place that he could use someone with a history like me. But Big Valley has always held a number one spot in my heart because right down there is where all of this started. I've had a lot of challenges uh, in my life. I've had um, my oldest daughter was born without her kidneys hooked to her bladder. She's had 120 surgeries. She's on her third kidney transplant. My youngest daughter's diabetic on her second kidney transplant and recently had her foot amputated. My grandson was suddenly paralyzed at 17 after a bad immunization and is now quadriplegic. My sons did a little better than that because uh, they um, played minor league pro ball, but then they became college baseball coaches. <laughs> and if you know how that goes, it's an up and down yo-yo affair depending on your team whether you're gonna have a job in the future. But um, despite all of those trials, despite all those peaks and valleys, God has always been with me. God has always made it possible for me to get through it and in the end be victorious. I knew about three years ago that I needed to get more serious about um, being active in recovery because my youngest daughter became addicted to crack. So I started um, coming to worship. Now remember, I still have a shy inner child. So I sat in the back. And then after a couple months, I got up the courage to go to a small group and I went to codependency group. And then I, um, 
asked God to point out a person who would be a good sponsor for me, and I asked her, and she said yes. Thanks, Debbie. And then I got enrolled in 12-step recovery group and had wonderful leaders. Thanks, Adelina and Debbie. And finally, I attended the group for parents of addicted children, which you just saw advertised up here, starting on Sunday. And uh, it was amazing. It helped me strengthen my boundaries and decrease my enabling. And I'm so grateful to PAC for the wonderful program they put on. I have visited many other CRs. I believe this is the very greatest one. I mean, yeah, I'll give it a hand. I'm indebted to my friends, Scott and Susie Miller, who started CR, and Scott S., who continues to grow it and lead us. I'm grateful to my sponsor, facilitators, all the people that serve here at CR. And um, I'm really appreciating Scott, who pushes us. And he does push. <laughs> when we finish a fourth step, in a, I mean a 12-step program, he's like, okay, good. Write your testimony. And then I'm grateful for being Josh who actually taught me how to write a testimony. Because I've been here for a long time and never given a testimony. But uh, finally I became obedient, got up here thanks to them. So for the newcomer like me, I mean, you may feel unsure if CR is the right place for you. And you may question if your issues qualify for this kind of help. I can only say that the 12 steps will improve anyone's life when they are applied on a consistent basis. In addition, there are exciting adventures to be involved in this recovery community. We can serve in so many ways and I'm convinced now that I can't keep my recovery unless I give it away. So in reviewing my life, it brings to mind the popular song, Evidence. The first line goes this way. I see the evidence of your blessings all over my life. I didn't sing it for you to save you the pain. <laughs> and that is certainly true for me. But at the end of this long life, I long to hear the words from my Lord in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for letting me share. Special lady, special testimony, right? Let's give it up uh, once again for Marilyn. If her testimony touched you in any way, make sure you go and say hi to her uh, sometime tonight and just be grateful for what you've heard tonight and how God changed uh, this woman uh, in every step of the way. And so we're grateful to have Marilyn a part of our community here at Celebrate Recovery. So our focus question is this, what are some unchangeable things in our life that you're struggling to accept and why? Would you stand with me as we say the serenity prayer together? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time 
enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you'll make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and the next. Amen.